Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Volume. Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are continuing our NBA season preview content, breaking down the Central Division, where we have, of course, a top as the reigning divisional champs, the Milwaukee Bucks, who I don't know if you heard, Logan, made a bit of a splashy move this offseason, adding Damian Lillard. So we already broke down that trade extensively after it happened, but with that move now done, what are your expectations for the Bucks this year? To win it all, man. It feels like title or bust for the Milwaukee Bucks after this acquisition, and I'll regurgitate some of the numbers and some of my spiel on how the Dame trade affects this team. Uh, Dame is coming off of a 32-point-per-game and 7-assist-per-game season. Only six other players in NBA history have done that. That list includes Nate Tiny Archibald, Michael Jordan, Allen Iverson, James Harden, who did it twice, and Luka Doncic. Fun little trivia there for you. If you like stuff like that, you can check us out on TikTok. We're putting out trivia content every day. Bro got the plug-in early. Respect. Had to, bro. Uh, Dame averaged... The most efficient 32-7 and season in NBA history. Simply put, he's one of the 10 best players uh, offensively, I think, in basketball. The Blazers had an offensive rating of 120.3 with Lillard on the floor. That would equate out to the best in the NBA. He averaged 1.17 points per isolation possession. That's the third most efficient isolation score in all of basketball. He averaged 1.13 points per pick-and-roll possession. He was the sixth most efficient pick-and-roll ball handler score in the NBA. You were pairing, in my opinion, one of the three best perimeter creators and scorers in the game with the best interior force in all of basketball. It's the closest thing we've seen, I think, Carson, to a modern-day Kobe and Shaq. And this trade addressed the Milwaukee Bucks' biggest needs. They struggled to close out games against Miami. They struggled in the half court. And now they have an uber-reliable perimeter creator. We talked last episode about Drew Holiday's offensive struggles. Middleton's also not the most seamless guy to lead to easy offense. He's a tough bucket. With guys mm-hmm. like that... It's gonna vary. It's gonna vary game to game on how successful Middleton is. His shot quality is always gonna be rough. It's just a matter of is he hitting his shots or not. You're not gonna have to worry about your offensive stagnating with Damian Lillard. Another aspect of that is not only how great of a playmaker he is, how great of a pull-up shooter he is. It's also how great he is at getting downhill and getting to the basket. He averaged nearly 10 free throws uh, attempts per game last season. That was third among all guards in basketball. Uh, the Bucks' offense has just completely gone up a notch, and it's going to be a nightmare guarding this pick and roll. If you switch it, guess what? You've got a mismatch on two of the best offensive players in basketball. Giannis is going to have a smaller guy on him, or Dame is going to have a bigger guy that he can just expose with the ball in his hands and cook if you hedge and try to double Dame. Guess what? Giannis has an open lane to the rim. It's just going to be a nightmare guarding this duo every single night. And... My only real concern with this team, Carson, is their depth. I think this is a defense that you can bank on. I think that Mm -hmm. uh, Giannis is the second-best defensive player in basketball, only to Anthony Davis. They're going to stick to their defensive identity. I think that they've got some good pieces here. 
I'm a little bit worried about the depth. Uh, Malik Beasley, Jake Crowder on the wings, backup point guard is campaign. There's not a whole lot there. So if one injury happens, that's Lillard, Middleton, or Giannis, I can see this team uh, being pretty thin. But if this team stays healthy, I think they are the title front runner and the title favorite uh, for me. And I think they have to be the clear favorite out East. I mean, this is the best duo in all of basketball. I agree. I do have them as my title favorite right now. It is very narrow, the margin between them and the Nuggets. The Celtics, I think, have to be in that same tier. Although, as we talked about last episode, I do feel like the Bucks have much more concretely solved their biggest issue. But in terms of raw talent on paper, Boston really still might be number one in the league. But this team is coming off a 58-win season in which their offense was the most labored it's been in the honest era. They were just 12th in offensive rating. Chris Middleton only played 33 games, and they were still that dominant because of the defensive formula. Yes, they were exceptionally good in clutch situations, but that's just been the reality. Over this last half decade with Giannis and this core, they are going to waltz into elite regular seasons. But the playoff issue that they have had to confront at various points has been the lack of an elite half-court creator, which makes them an average half-court offense. We saw how they crumbled in the clutch against Miami. The lack of truly elite half-court skill. Holla didn't have it with his inconsistency as a pull-up jump shooter. Giannis wasn't able to just physically work his way into consistent, efficient offense when things are more congested, when he's working out of isolation and post-up situations against a great one-on-one defender like Bam. And this is exactly what Dame does for you. He is one of the best offensive edges in basketball. He completely has changed the dynamic of Portland's offense for years and has made them, with a less impressive supporting cast than what Milwaukee has, an elite, elite offense when he is on the floor. So, I think we're going to see the best version of Giannis because of the constant gravity, how far out Dame is going to pull defenders when we're looking at pick and roll. You're just going to be constantly trapped there. Giannis will be able to make decisions off the roll. He'll have good shooters. Or, of course, he's dynamic athletically rolling downhill himself. You will also have now a lethal spot-up option off-ball in Damian Lillard when Giannis is running pick and roll. When he's facilitating, you can do some things With the two of them hunting switches in pick and rolls, I just think it's a fantastic pairing. And Dame is a fantastic offensive player who is exactly what they need. He's going to manufacture more quality looks from three for Chris Middleton, for Brooke Lopez, off ball. It's just going to be the most dynamic offense of this Bucks era to me. There's lots of shooting here. There's multiple ball handlers and high-level playmakers. They're going to excel in transition still because they have Giannis and he's as good a transition player as we've ever seen in the history of this game. So that is a massive improvement for this team. There are a couple concerns. You mentioned the depth. It's not great. It's okay. I don't mind Pat Connaughton as the fifth starter. I think that he's going to bring you some real shooting value. He's capable in that role. Bobby Portis is one of the best sixth men in basketball. Really high impact guy. Offensively skilled. Going to dominate on the glass. Compete defensively. It's really after that where we start to get to the question marks. Campaign. Playable bench point guard but we've seen him really struggle to manufacture efficient offense. He's not going to give you super efficient pull-up shooting, very limited athletically, so things can get ugly with him. And then Crowder, we saw, was not a guy who they wanted to play meaningful playoff minutes last year. Malik Beasley, another guy who was shelved in LA. I do think a really dynamic shooter, particularly coming off screens, but in terms of two-way contribution, in terms of really everything outside of that pure shooting, How much is he going to bring to the table? You have Andre Jackson, who I really, really like as a young defensive prospect. Offensively, he's limited, not going to be a reliable floor spacer, certainly. And this is a guy you're going to play on the wings. So after the top six, it does get dicey. But I do believe in individual traits with some of these guys to where I don't think it's going to kill them when their top four and their duo is this overwhelmingly talented. The more specific concern that I have here is their point of attack defense without Drew Holiday. I still think it's going to be a really good defensive team because of their rim-protecting duo, their just incredibly loaded defensive frontcourt with Giannis and Brooke Lopez. But in terms of point of attack, you're going to have Dame as a smaller guard. They don't have really quick options on the perimeter. 
So maybe they can't quite reach the same defensive heights that they did in their title run when they were convincingly the best defense in that field. And of course, just losing a talent like Drew is going to take you down a peg there. But I still think this is going to be a really good defense because of how great that front court is. And I think this is going to be the best offense of the Milwaukee era. And I absolutely believe that there will be series and maybe over the entirety of the playoff run in which Dame is their best offensive player and how massive is that in terms of changing the dynamics of this team it's everything because last year you had to run through Giannis in crunch time offense that failed miserably Drew couldn't step up in that role I do think that we're going to see a bounce back year from Chris Middleton just because the guy wasn't fully healthy at any point last year but he played really well in that playoff series I still believe in his scoring and playmaking skill set I don't think that Brooke Lopez has regressed I still think he is a two-way really high impact guy they're just loaded. So what puts them above a team like Denver, a team like Boston? Why are they number one for you, just quickly? I think it's because of what Lillard brings. Uh, there's just a formula that you can bank on, man. Uh, again, we talk about the anchors on both sides of the ball. Giannis is going to anchor this defense, and now he doesn't have to be the unquestioned leader offensively. Uh Physically, I think they match up with Denver really well in terms of size. I think they match up with Boston pretty well, too. Giannis, Brooke, Bobby Portis, you just have a wealth of interior options that aren't going to be outsized. And then, again, that was the one Achilles heel of Milwaukee that has been constant, is finishing off games. Denver's a tough one for me because I think that they're really close. Those are one and two for me, still even above Boston. I don't like betting against Jokic. There's just a little too much star power for me here uh, to bet against. I do want to I do want to give a shout out to you mentioned Andre Jackson man I think Andre Jackson is going to be awesome this year as a perimeter defender and I think he'll be a really good supplementary playmaker too he was really good in transition last year at UConn can't really score can't really shoot but he's a good decision maker he can play make and handle a little bit too but he's a really good point of attack defender I think it's just the star power man I can't give you a, a crazy answer but I mean they're just you have two of the uh, top three guys on offense and on defense, I think that's what you can bank on. And for Boston, Boston's got to show it to me, man. I need to see an identity change. I need to see a culture change. And it needs to be on the back half of the season because Boston's going to be great uh, every year. I need to see a dramatic culture change. But they're also number one for you over Denver and Boston, too. They are. It's a slim margin, and we can touch on this in more depth when we do our playoff predictions and all that, which will be a couple weeks from now. But the bullet points, I think both Denver and Milwaukee have some depth question marks. I actually slightly prefer how Denver has built out their bench. They had three draft picks, none of which were very high, but they added very pro-ready players. Julian Strother is going to bring immediate shooting and some point of attack defense. Jalen Pickett is a guy who I think can run that second unit reasonably well, gets to his spots, can play make for others. Hunter Tyson is going to be a valuable shooter immediately. But I still don't consider that a strong bench after the loss of Bruce Brown. And at peak impact, the Bucks are the team with two top 10 players. I think that Brooke and Middleton should outplay Aaron Gordon and MPJ. I think that they are both more versatile players in terms of their impact. They have higher ceilings when you consider, especially what a guy like Middleton can do with that level of shot making, that sort of on-ball offensive contribution while still having a real impact off-ball. And I do think that they match up well. One of the greatest advantages that we saw Denver have was that overwhelming size. And the team that pushed them the most was the team that could match up most effectively with that size, that being the Lakers. I understand that it was a sweep, but that was by far the most competitive series game to game. The Suns may have taken them six, but the Suns got dominated in the four games that they lost, and they needed absolutely superhuman Devin Booker to leave with two. So we've seen that Jokic can cope with any sort of defense, can dominate anybody, but it's that defensive foundation. You have a great athlete like Giannis in the rover role handling the hyper-athletic Aaron Gordon he can provide some help there because I think his length is disruptive and then you can stick a big strong post defender like Brooke Lopez on Jokic there's nothing close to an answer but they are really well equipped for that matchup in the scheme of things and then this sort of offensive creation that Dame gets how much that bumps them up on that side of the ball 
I would slightly prefer them right now. That top-end talent is really, really, really outstanding. But it's those two in the top tier, and I'm very excited to see them battle it out this entire year. Okay, who do you have next in the Central Division, Logan? There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay. So you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah. Like, check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Try to act like they, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, "Look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot." Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but all right. So, what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self, and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more... Right now, you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. I have the Cleveland Cavaliers, Carson, and I think you can bank on them being great again uh, because of both sides of the ball, honestly. They've got high-level guard play with Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Two guys that you can just say, Take the rock. I'll set you a screen. Go get me a bucket. Donovan Mitchell is still one of the best overall scorers in all of basketball. And I think this year, if we're going to see the Cavs take a leap, it's going to be because of leaps from one of their young guys, either Darius Garland or Evan Mobley. Garland was 22-8 and on over 40% from deep last year. He averaged five free throw attempts per game. That was a career high for him. Top 20 among guards in the NBA. If he gets downhill more and is more consistent, that's another dynamic of this offense that is unlocked. And maybe we see another offensive leap from Evan Mobley. Not that there's a whole lot that's encouraging about Mobley's last season. We really need to see him develop as a jump shooter to unlock his full potential. He shot just 23% on jumpers last year. And so I think we're going to look at a top 10 unit on offense and on defense. The issue with picking Cleveland, because I know that they were a they were a super popular pick, Carson. I saw some people were picking them to the Eastern Conference Finals. It was you know, can this young group really take that leap? I don't think Cleveland addressed their biggest issues enough in the offseason for me to bank on them doing anything greater, specifically their big play and their big depth. We can talk about how Allen and Mobley fit together. We said in the offseason, Carson, shop Jared Allen. It's a movable contract. He is a very good center. He's such an elite rim protector and rebounder. He's a very intriguing asset for a lot of teams that have a hole at that spot. Him and Mobley just don't fit together, and we saw it in the playoffs. Uh, Floor spacing was by far the biggest issue offensively. Uh, The offense turned to Donovan Mitchell just shooting pull-up threes, just taking not even good looks. It was just Donovan Mitchell going, nobody else can score, nobody else can get open. I'm just going to start hucking shots. So it didn't work offensively. And then even worse, they got dominated on the boards. One, because of big depth. They didn't have anybody off their bench that they could play. But two, even when their starters were in there, they got absolutely dominated by the Knicks. They lost the rebounding battle in that series, 227 to 186. They got out-rebounded on the offensive glass, 75 to 46. And they allowed the Knicks to rack up 91 second-chance points in that series. So both sides of the ball, 
we see issues with rebounding, with depth, and with spacing at the big position. So I think this team can be great during the regular season, Carson. I really do. They just, they're just they just too talented at the top end. But I think their bench leaves a lot to be desired. I don't think they have enough good wing, guard, or big depth. I just think they're weak off the bench in general. Karis Levert's cool. He can come in and serve some buckets. They signed Max Struess. He'll space the floor a little bit. Georges Niang, the minivan, he'll come in and stretch the floor. But None of these guys are game changers for me, and I just don't think they address their biggest need. You need a five or a four guy that is athletic, that can rebound, that can hold down the interior, and can just provide a little relief for Allen and Mobley off the bench. Damian Jones is just not that guy, man. I like Damian Jones. You're not going to give him 20-plus minutes a night. So, barring another massive leap from Mobley or Darius Garland, I don't really see how this is a different outcome at the end of the season for Cleveland. They just, the recipe's good, but it's not great. I think they need to switch up some of the ingredients before I can consider Cleveland as a legitimate, legitimate contender. I absolutely agree, and I think you hit the nail on the head with a bunch of the concerns that you addressed. And I do wonder if I'm punishing them a bit here with my regular season prediction, because of playoff concerns that I have about them. And by the way, I didn't give my official number for the Bucs. I have them winning 60 games as my one seed. What's yours for the Bucs? I have them at 56 wins. Okay. Yeah, I think that they should be the best regular season team in basketball. But the Cavs also have a very easy regular season formula to racking up wins. They are going to turn out an elite regular season defense with maybe the best rim-protecting duo out there, only challenged really by well triple j and steven adams are very good but i would say brooke lopez and Giannis, and because they have this elite shot creating duo from the perimeter they're probably going to be a top 10 offense and last year they were second in net rating in the entire nba in the regular season because of that formula but the concerns are 100 about how that translates to the playoff stage because the depth is still not good it's not good on the wings. It's not good in terms of the bigs. It's not good in terms of creating from the backcourt off the bench. The spot-up shooting was awful in the overall spacing you mentioned, but they lacked any sort of big wing who could pressure the rim. So they just were completely lacking in offensive versatility. They relied so much on those pull-up jumpers from Garland and Mitchell, as you mentioned, and defenses could help aggressively on those guys' drives. They could hedge hard because Mobley and Allen were so limited offensively, so lacking in offensive skill, and it constricted what these two dynamic guards were really capable of doing, and so the offense as a whole suffered. And that's the difference, right? When you're in a playoff setting, teams are really going to try to attack your weaknesses much more specifically over a seven-game series. That's what happened. And they struggled on the glass, as you mentioned. To me, that was... Partly a product of how good New York is there. I mean, they have really big physical front court players, Mitchell Robinson, Julius Randle, but it was still inexcusable for a team playing two bigs to get dogged like that. So I love this talented young core so much. You cannot find a bigger longtime advocate of Darius Garland than me. You cannot find anybody who was higher on Evan Mobley as a prospect than me. And Donovan Mitchell is coming off the best scoring season of his career. But I do think they need to trade Jared Allen if they want to meaningfully raise their ceiling because I just don't think you are eliminating the problems that we're talking about. The spacing issues, the offensive skill deficit. Like, yeah, adding a more skilled offensive wing helps there, but playing two bigs who are limited like this, it's always going to hurt what you can do offensively. It's going to hurt you a lot. And ideally, Evan Mobley in his final form, should be able to anchor you defensively at the five, not at the four. So I don't know that that's going to happen this year, some sort of Allen trade. I wouldn't expect it. But I think if you could even talk to a team like Dallas, and this is hypothetical, I don't have an expectation of this happen, but think, what is the hole that they need to fill? Well, they would certainly like to have a win now, two-way center, athletic guy who can protect the rim and can finish out of pick and roll on the other end. They pick Derek Lively. He's raw. Jared Allen is that sort of plug-and-play guy. If you could get a couple wings, Josh Green and Maxi Kleba, for example, and you're giving them that defensive-minded five, 
I would really prefer the outlook for Cleveland because you're adding more offensive skill. You're adding spacing. You're adding two dudes who can also defend. You're adding some playmaking with Josh Green. Like, that's just the direction that they need to take things. The too big approach to me is not going to work. Struess is a solid ad, but it's like you said, he doesn't meaningfully fix any of their problems. Like, at the end of the day, the same things are going to bite them unless Mobley or Allen, but Allen is not going to take an offensive leap, take an offensive leap. And I was just discouraged by Mobley's offensive development last year. He's an 11th percentile jump shooter right now, a 12th percentile post score. And I just think the flashes of higher level offensive skill that we saw from him as a prospect, he hasn't built on. He doesn't really have skill out of the post. Like three out of every four times, he's going to start on the left block. He's going to shoot a little turnaround or a hook over the left shoulder. It's very predictable. It's not diverse. And he doesn't have good touch on those shots. He shoots 41% on hooks. That's terrible. 38% on turnarounds. That's bad. He gets stood up in the post by average defenders because his strength is still underdeveloped. So at this point, offensively, I mean, yeah, he does some fun passing stuff sometimes, but he's mostly just a very basic play finisher. And I just don't think you can get away with playing two guys like that offensively if you want to win the title. So this team feels to me like they are firmly in the didn't improve category. And I prefer somebody like the Knicks for a full season with the additions of Josh Hart, Dante DiVincenzo. I think this team's floor is extremely high. Maybe I am underselling their regular season expectations because of their playoff flaws. And maybe there's something like the Grizzlies East at this point. I don't want to put them in that box, but you know what I mean. I've always had major issues with the Grizzlies in the playoffs because of some of their limitations in terms of half-court offense, but they can just waltz into 50-something wins in the regular season because they're going to defend at a high level. They're going to be really good in transition. They have a bunch of depth, so injuries aren't going to affect them as much. They're going to play hard night in, night out. But when it comes to meaningfully translating, it just hasn't clicked for Memphis. And maybe that's the tier that the Cavs are in. I have them, though, winning just 48 games as my five seed. What's your pick for them? I also have them at exactly 48 wins. And I like your hypothetical Jared Allen trade. Um, and, and I want to be clear about something, too, because I think if you deal away Allen, you're definitely sacrificing something on the interior. The Cavs still need more guys who can just rebound, who are athletic. Mm -hmm. I mean, this might be the most unathletic bench in the NBA. I mean, think about it, man. You're trotting out Max Struess, Dean Wade, yeah. and Georges Niang as your bigs, you know, just like bigger wings out there. Uh, Damian Jones will probably be the backup five, but... I mean, their offense would be so much better if they just had two actual floor spacers who could defend competently. I think they could be a, I don't know, a top 10 to a top 5 offense. I think you said it exactly right. These great guard talents who are not only great as pull-up jump shooters with the ball in their hands, out of pick and roll as playmakers, they are constricted by mm -hmm. the shortcomings of the guys that they are sharing the floor with. Allen and Mobley are two of the best at-rim finishers that you're going to get in terms of athleticism. They can just rise up and jam everything. But they are super limited when it comes to spacing. And spacing's the name of the game. And I think if you give these guys more shooting, their offense will just take such a massive leap. So I think that's inevitable. I also don't think that we're going to see it this season. I think we're going to see another year of this core play out before Cleveland makes any final uh, decisions on this core. I agree, and it is a really young core to be this good. So they're obviously still in a very good position right now, but the goalposts have shifted, as they should, given the talent level here, given what we've seen from them in the regular season. This was the worst playoff offense. Worse than the Brooklyn Nets, man. And I also think that we do need to see some improvement from Donovan Mitchell, not in terms of his regular season scoring. We know that he's going to light teams on fire there. But in terms of his ability to make good decisions, his playmaking, his offensive versatility in the playoffs, I thought that there were a couple spots where he was painfully shoot first. He was forcing the issue. And yes, part of that is circumstance, but he alone needs to be better as well. So I do like the Cavs, but just given that I don't feel like they've improved and how ugly last season finished, I am not in on them as a team that is trending upwards this season Mobley could be the X factor there. 
but last year was a real plateau for him. Okay, who do you have next in this division, Logan? In my three spot in the Central Division, I have the Indiana Pacers, and I think there's a lot to like about Indiana this upcoming season, specifically one of my favorite players in the league, Tyrese Halliburton. You're not just you're just not gonna find guys that are this selfless that want to lead to conducive, great team offense. I remember that one clip that was going around during the offseason, Carson, where Tyrese, they said he was spamming flashy passes. That one always cracks me up. But it really does speak to Tyrese is such an atypical point guard in the sense that guys today, they're fill it up. They're go get buckets. They're give me a screen. I'm going to get into my pull-up jump shot. If the defense collapses on me, then I'm going to look to play make. Then I'm going to look to pass. Tyrese is very much pass first. He's a guy that wants to move the rock. He wants to get the offense in motion. And it just leads to such beautiful, great offense. They had an offensive rating of 118.3 with Halliburton on the court and an offensive rating of 111.2 without him. And there's a lot of talent that gets amplified by a guy like Halliburton. Buddy Heald was a 40% three-point shooter for the first time in five seasons last year. He amplified Ben Matherin. He amplified Miles Turner as a role guy and as a floor spacer. And there's a new guy in town that I really like named Jairus Walker. I think that the Pacers are probably still going to struggle a little bit defensively, though, and that's why I can't fully bank on this team taking another leap. I do think they improved. I think they improved massively with getting Jairus Walker by signing Bruce Brown, uh, by getting Obi Toppin into here. Talent-wise, I just think they're better, but there are areas where I still expect Indiana to struggle. They were 26th in defensive rating last year. They were 24th in total rebounds per game, and they got absolutely bullied on the offensive glass. They allowed their opponents to get 12 offensive rebounds per game, that was dead last in the NBA. So I think this offense is going to be, to be great because of Halliburton and because of the versatility you have from guys here. Buddy Heald is a floor spacer. Ben Matherin is a guy who can get to the rim, who can attack closeouts, who can shoot that pill. Walker's very much in that same role. He's a little janky, but he should have a lot of open looks because of the surrounding talent here. And again, he's also a guy that's pretty versatile, can do it on the low block, can attack closeouts, can do a little bit of that pull-up stuff. But... I just don't think there's enough here for me to bank on this defense taking a massive leap. There's individuals that I like. Like, I think Walker's probably the best defensive rookie in this class. He averaged over a steal and a block per game at Houston last season. He's one of my favorite rookies. And I think he'll be a good defender off rip, but not a transcendent one. Bruce Brown is a really good point of attack defender to bring off the bench. He's also a pretty good playmaker to have. But, again... It's just not great. And then off the bench, I don't really like this big depth. Isaiah Jackson's cool. Jalen Smith is cool. They're not great defensive bigs or rebounders. I think the Pacers are going to be a pretty average team. I have them missing the playoffs. I have them going 38-44. and 44. And again, I think it's going to come down to how much Jairus Walker steps in here and how great he is as a rookie. And if Ben Matherin can take another tangible leap. I think Matherin's going to be better. I don't think he's going to take a, a huge leap where I can bank on this team being great. Again, Halliburton's going to lead this team to being great offensively, but I just think they they fall a little short defensively and in terms of rebounding, and I think it's going to limit them. They'll be right outside the playoff picture. I think they'll end up as my 10 seed or 11 seed at 38 and 44. I really like the Pacers. I actually do have them as a playoff team. Wow. I'm a little bit higher on them, and I think we need to start by acknowledging how competitive and how solid this team was last year when they actually were trying to win basketball games. When Halliburton played, they were a 500 team, 28 and 28. They were an 85th percentile offense when he was on the floor. And I think there's some divisive discourse around Tyrese Halliburton right now. And some people who claim that he is sort of this old-fashioned floor general, that he doesn't really create higher value assists, which I don't think is true. I think that he is a pretty dynamic creator. Now, he's not in the elite tier there, and he is not overwhelming athletically to the point where he's constantly penetrating the defense, and that's obviously where you can do the most damage from. But when he does get into the teeth of the defense, which is a decent amount of the time, he is so creative, so deceptive. You mentioned the flashy passing, but there's value in that. He creates passing angles where they otherwise would not be by tricking defenders. I was watching through all his pick and roll possessions. There's one playing against the Hawks where he fakes the lob, gets Onyeka jumping, and then throws a behind-the-back dime to the roller. Like, that's really valuable. He sees tons of angles at his height as a bigger ball handler. He does have a preference 
to create for shooters, but that also just makes sense given the overall setup of this roster. They have more shooting than they do dynamic rim finishing, but he also will find rollers and dudes in the dunker spot when they're open. And he generally just makes really good decisions. He's a super efficient scorer. He does amplify his teammates, but he also has really good play finishers around him. He has an elite, historically great spot-up shooter in Buddy Heald. And Buddy Heald is legitimately one of the great shooters this game has ever seen. The volume, the efficiency, pulling up and off the catch from deep, it's top 10 all time, frankly. And he's got one of the best pick and pop bigs in the league in Miles Turner. So that's a great asset to have. And then I do really like the young talent that should be trending upwards. I think Jairus Walker will find a role here. He is not meant to be some sort of wing who is consistently trying to create for himself, who's taking a bunch of pull-up jumpers. No, I think he's going to be really good as a short-roll decision maker because I like his passing at his size and he has the athletic tools to pressure the rim there to be a threat. I think that he'll be solid out of pick and pop. He'll be solid in spot-up situations. He can attack mismatches as a bigger, stronger forward. So he's just going to blend in here offensively, and playing with a really good playmaker and good spacing is definitely going to be beneficial to him. And then Matherin is a very gifted scorer. And yeah, his efficiency wasn't great last year, but he can spot up, he can attack closeouts, he can get himself a bucket out of pick and roll. He can pressure the rim. He eats up free throws. I think he is going to continue to grow. And maybe he still won't be the most efficient scorer, the most complete winning basketball player this year. But he's definitely talented. And I do think he'll improve. But my favorite thing about this entire Indiana roster is their depth. I think they have one of the best benches in the league. Bruce Brown is just the ultimate all-around winning player. We just saw it. Plus defense, plus rebounding, good playmaking, an incredible level of versatility. He can play so many different roles for you. He can be your point guard. He can be your power forward, rolling, making decisions there. The dude just is good for a culture. He's good for winning basketball. Andrew Nemhard, I thought, had a really impressive rookie season. He's got two-way chops. He brings value as an off-ball shooter, good facilitating, has craftiness on ball, solid touch and good feel out of pick and roll. Aaron Neesmith, I thought, really took a step forward last year defensively, and he's always had a really impressive ability to shoot the ball, but I think that he has paired those two skill sets together now in a way that makes him much more playable and a really solid rotation wing. TJ McConnell has always been one of my favorite floor generals, just a really good facilitator, very solid mid-range pull-up shooter, going to compete defensively. Isaiah Jackson, solid play finisher and rim protector. Obi is going to inject some athleticism, some shooting. They draft Shepard, who I think maybe was a bit of a reach, but a pro-ready guy. Good shooter, going to bring some playmaking, solid defense. So they just have a lot of guys who I look at here and I say they're versatile, they're smart, they can shoot, a lot of them can playmake, they have various options they can go with. I just think top to bottom, there's a lot more talent than people might expect, than people might think just looking at the sort of top billing kind of names here, especially because I do have faith in a lot of these young guys. I think that the young guys here have winning skill sets and are sort of beyond their years and their ability to contribute there. So I don't see them being good defensively. I do agree with you identifying that as the concern, but I do think dialed in Miles Turner is a really good defensive anchor and one of the elite rim protectors in the league. I think that Walker is going to be a good front court partner to him. I never want to expect too much of a rookie defensively, but I think Walker really takes pride there. He comes from a great defensive culture in Houston, but he's got the tools, man. He moves really well for a wing of that size. He brings the secondary rim protection. He can handle some real matchup versatility. He's strong. He's got 7-4 wingspan, right? I mean, elite length. So I buy into that. I buy into them being mediocre defensively, and then I think it can be a good offense with a playmaker like Halley at the helm and good finishing and spacing around him and a truly elite bench. So I think they're a playoff team. I have them winning 42 games. I have them as my seven seed out East. You're kind of talking me into him, Carson. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, man. You're talking yeah. me into Indiana. I think I might bump him up to 41, man. You're, 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 uh, you're stirring that blue and yellow Kool-Aid. I'll do it. I think you're right, man. I do like this depth. And in terms of 
playmaking off the bench, man, I do think they're loaded in that regard. I mean, thinking about McConnell, Nemhard, and Bruce Brown off the bench, I mean, whoever's carrying the rock off for that bench unit is going to be awesome. I'm... I think I might have to reconsider, man. I might have them sneak in the playoffs. I'll give them a few more wins here, dude. You've talked me into it. And I do think, I never, I think you're right. It's hard for rookies making that transition when they step into the NBA, especially defensively. There have been very few rookies that have come into the league like Jairus Walker that I expect to make an immediate impact. Like, I seriously think that hovering around one uh, to over one steal and a block per game is a real goal that could be attained by Jarrett. And I think he'll be an elite help side rim protector for for Miles Turner. So you know what? I'll do it, man. I'll put him at yeah. I'll put him at 41 right now. I love that bench, man. And benches can win you regular season games. We've seen it with the Knicks a couple times in recent years. We've seen it with the Grizzlies, as I was talking about earlier. If you have a bench unit that is that good. It can make a difference, and I think that this is one of those situations. And I think there's a lot of variability, Carson, with the young guys. We talk about the young guys who are going to make an immediate impact. There's definitely area for for there to for them to improve in terms of like taking a leap. Uh, Neesmith is young, could get take another leap. Nemhar, Jalen Smith, Jordan War is finally going to get some burn. Ben Matherin, Jairus Walker, like there's tangible room for improvement with this team too. I, I buy in, man. It, it, I think, and I think Carlisle's a good leader of young guys. I, I think I sold him a little bit short, man. And in War is a dude who I didn't even mention, but yeah, really high level shooter, and he produced at a pretty impressive level. Again, once the Pacers were in, we don't want to win basketball games anymore mode, but they just have tons of options. They have really exceptional depth, and I'm excited to see if they can take the leap because. I do buy in. I think that this is one of the teams that I'm probably highest on versus the consensus. The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code NERDS only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and Deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Okay, who do you have next in this division, Logan? In my four spot is a polarizing team. That is the Chicago Bulls. And if we harken back to last year, Carson, I expected this team to not even be in contention, not even close. I think I picked them around 30 wins or sub uh, for one reason. I thought that the Chicago Bulls were going to bite the bullet and blow up their team Mm-hmm. I still think that's what Chicago needs to do. Now, I want to give a ton of credit to Billy Donovan. That guy's awesome, man. Billy Donovan's one of the best basketball coaches, I think, period, man. Dating back to his Florida days, he just knows how to coach up defenses. He knows how to get guys to commit to playing winning basketball, and that's what the Bulls did. They were the fifth team in defensive rating last season, but I think this has to be the year, right? Lonzo Ball not projected to come back to play basketball maybe ever again. That breaks my heart. I love Lonzo Ball. He's such a winning basketball player. He's such a genius playmaker. There's just few guys that see the floor like Lonzo, so I'm praying for a full recovery, and I just want to watch Lonzo play ball again, man. I love that guy, but I think this has to be the year. DeMar DeRozan's going to be a free agent next year. Vucevic has you know two more years after this one on his contract. Levine has three, but... Vucevic, at the end of his contract, is going to be 34 years old. Levine is going to be 31. Again, DeMar's contract is up. It's like, take a hard look in the mirror and ask yourself, what is our timetable? What are we trying to accomplish? What is our ceiling? The ceiling is a first-round exit, a play-in appearance. You're in no-man's land. This is where teams never really want to be. And the harsh reality for Chicago is through this, they don't really have anybody to bank in as a young building block, right? There's young guys that I like here, Dasunmu. 
I like Kobe White a little bit. I like Patrick Williams a little bit. I like Daylon Terry, but there's no cornerstone franchise guy. So what do you do? I think you trade the pieces that you have and you go out and get young assets. I think this has to be the year that they do it. If they don't, I mean, this team will be cool. I think that they're probably somewhere between 36 to 40 wins if they don't blow it up. But I think of, I think they take a hard look in the mirror at some point during this season and they have a bit of a fire sale. I have them going 34 and 48 for that reason. I just think that's the right path, man. You go out, you get picks, you get some young assets that you like, you sell off your pieces to contenders, and you let your young guys try to go out there and improve. There's just no direction for the Chicago Bulls, and I think mm-hmm. they have to pick their direction. I think the right one is a bit of a tank, a bit of a rebuild. And they've got a lot of good assets right now that can go to contenders where you can recoup good value. So for the second year in a row, I am projecting a a fire sale for the Bulls. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I think that's what they should do. Uh, there's just no higher ceiling for this team. That's interesting. So I absolutely agree about the long-term ceiling here. But I feel like they're a bit more trapped than you're making it sound. Like, I don't know who wants to take on three years of this Vooch contract. Levine, I do think, is a... a an excellent pure score of the basketball, maybe underrated there, but is his all-around winning value going to justify this near $50 million a year contract for the next four years? Is DeMar DeRozan at 32 expiring, but somebody's going to have to pay him? Again, a very skilled score, good playmaker, but doesn't fit in super easily to a lot of offenses. Like, it feels to me like none of them are going to be as attractive on the open market as maybe their raw ability would indicate. What about, hear me out on this, what if the Knicks came, they said, we'll throw you RJ a couple firsts for Levine. Like, do you think that's enough? Like, what, because I don't really think that, I think you're right. I don't think you're going to recoup great value for these guys for a myriad of reasons. Vucevic and his shortcomings as a defensive center. DeMar aging. Levine is a total winner. And obviously they're all on big contracts. But I don't really think it's about recouping great value. I think it's just about getting value, period, and picking your timeline. I I agree with you. I don't think that you're going to get total value for all these guys. But I just think there comes a point where you have to... Just look at yourself and say, we're not making any bigger moves. We're not making a deep playoff run with this core. I absolutely think that's the direction that they should want to take things, but I'm not sure that they're getting great value for those guys. And it does really bum me out how this Bulls experiment has gone because when it first happened, even though in a vacuum, I was lower than the consensus on all three of their major building blocks. I was like, you know what? I think that this can work at least to the point where they're like a 50-win team because I I was like, well, they've actually got really good length and athleticism defensively, and I think that they can be solid there. Turns out that's actually been the strength of their team in the Billy Donovan era with this core. And I thought, well, DeRozan, right, as more of a primary ball handler, you put lots of shooting around him. We know that he's become pretty elite out of pick and roll. But I think Lonzo Ball was a really crucial piece to making it all work. And we saw that. They got off to this red red hot start to the 2022 season. But without Lonzo, you're missing valuable shooting and playmaking offensively. You're missing an elite point of attack defender. You're missing out on that size, that length, that positional rebounding value. He's just such a good winning basketball player when he's healthy. And... Without him, they're really stuck in this basketball limbo. And they're so confusing because I look at DeMar and Levine and DeMar is a legitimately good playmaker now, I would say, who scores with 91st percentile efficiency out of pick and roll and 89th out of ISO. He is one of the most devastating on-ball scorers in basketball. Levine scores 25 a night on 61% true shooting, truly one of the league's elite shooters who also pressures the rim, one of the league's elite athletes, And yet both of them had negative on-off differentials this past year and did that for an entirely mediocre team that was 24th in offensive rating, which is the side of the ball where they are most important. So it's just a baffling situation where it feels like nobody here can consistently play up to their potential. I want to buy into them more, but I just can't. And... The defense was the foundation here last year. They were a top five unit. And 
Part of that was they were an elite defensive rebounding team, very good at ending possessions, but they have a point of attack monster in Caruso. Patrick Williams had a really strong season defending on the ball, bringing good matchup versatility, some secondary rim protection, and this entire rotation, look, coming into this year, they've got some good perimeter defenders, specifically guards, Io, Pat Bev, Javon Carter, Pat Bev and Javon Carter, they're very small, but they're dogs. Like if you are just saying, hey, go handle this point guard, they'll actually fare reasonably well in those situations. But given my concerns about their interior defense, where I think that Vooch is still a below average rim protector, I'm not sure I can quite see that top five ceiling being reached again. And I just don't really see the opportunity for improvement with this team. Vooch is certainly not trending in the right direction at 33 years old. He's obviously regressed over the last couple years. And DeRozan is up there in age too, but he's been playing some of his best basketball. But again, it's not enough to pull things together here. We know what Kobe White is. He's a decent bench scoring guard. You're not going to get some leap from him. So I just don't see the cohesion here. This is just a team to me that has sort of tapped out that has reached its ceiling as constructed and it's a very low one so there were stretches last year where they were a legitimately good basketball team and then there were stretches when they legitimately were a bad basketball team so i'm settling in the middle i have them at 38 and 44 because i expect a bit of defensive regression and i don't really see where they get better I have them at 34 and 48, and like I said, part of that is I expect them to move one of these guys mm -hmm. uh, before the trade deadline, at least one. And I just want to hammer home that point, Carson. You talk about the cohesion of this team. They really do just need a connecting piece, it feels like. Like, DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine, I don't want to undersell their playmaking because they've had the ball in their hands so much over the past few seasons. They've grown as playmakers. Mm -hmm. They've gotten better there. But again... You uh, did a video on this team when they had that you know crazy free agency when they got Lonzo Ball. I mean, it looked like it was going to work. I mean, Lonzo yeah. really was that connecting piece, that glue guy that brought everything together. They were 22-13 and 13 with Lonzo Ball in 35 games in 2022. They were nearly nine points better per 100 possessions with Lonzo on the floor. Uh, I mean, again, just such an elite point-of-attack duo with Caruso and Ball when they're on the court. It's disappointing, man, but I think you're right. I think they've hit their head on that ceiling, and I don't know if it's going to be this year. There is definitely something impending in Chicago where they're going to have to choose their direction, man. I hope it's this year. It just seems inevitable. All right. Well, the last team left here, Logan, is in a very different spot. They are not frustratingly mm -hmm. low ceiling with this core of veterans. They were the worst team in the league last year, but they've got some young pieces to be excited about. So what are you expecting from the Detroit Pistons this year? Well, the good thing about being in the basement, Carson, is the only place to go is up. So True. Uh, I'm hopeful for the Detroit Pistons because they've got so much young talent that I just absolutely love. Cade Cunningham, I think, is destined to be one of the best point guards in the NBA one day, as a perimeter mm -hmm. creator, as a pull-up jump shooter, as a floor spacer, just as a floor general. I believe in Cade Cunningham. He's so, so talented. I love Jaden Ivey coming out of the draft. Last year took over a massive responsibility as the lead point guard with Cade coming out, uh, or with Cade Cunningham's injury, excuse me. He was great at drawing fouls. I uh, was top 20 among guards at getting to the line last year. He's such a freaky, freaky, explosive athlete. Uh, his jumper leads a little bit to be desired, but Ivy is an insane athlete, and I think he's a really uh, a really good guy with the ball in his hands because he's one hell of an athlete. Asar Thompson, I like too, falls into a bit of that same category. Uh, really good athlete, struggles with his jumper, but I think he's going to be a good connecting piece here. He's a smart playmaker. He's a good cutter. He's going to immediately provide plus defense. I think Asar just brings a winning skill set to this team. The issue with this team, I think, Carson, isn't the individual talents. It's more about how they're going to gel together. And that's my issue, is I really worry about their spacing and their shooting. You have a lot of bigs on this roster, no matter what lineup you go with, that don't really space the floor. Jalen Duran, Marvin Bagley, Beef Stew, James Wiseman. Uh, you're going to have fours and fives out there a lot that aren't going to be able to space the floor. And... That in of itself is problematic, but it's more problematic when you look at the other wings here, specifically Asar and Jaden Ivey alongside Cade Cunningham. Again, with great point guards, how can you amplify them more? 
Cade's got great guys who can finish at the rim, but he doesn't have guys that are going to reliably knock down jumpers, right? Jaden Ivey struggles with his jumper. Asar Thompson struggles with his jumper. Sure, they bring in Joe Harris, and they still have Boyan Bogdanovich, who are going to be flamethrowers off the catch. Most of these lineups, though, are going to struggle to knock down open looks and space the floor reliably. So that's really where I take issue with this offense. I just think there's a ceiling when you can't shoot the ball like that. And then I just don't have a ton of trust in the depth bigs here. They're going to be okay. Uh, Bagley and Wiseman just needed restarts. They were toiling away in their previous areas with Golden State and in Sacramento. I still don't buy in on them as great long-term assets. So I think they leave a lot to be desired. Cade's going to get better. To me, this year is about seeing how the pieces around him fit with a full year of Cade Cunningham. Can Jaden Ivey fit as an off-ball guy? Can Asar Thompson fit as an off-ball guy? Can Jalen Duran take another leap? We'll get the answers to those questions. Bottom line is, I don't think his team's going to be great defensively. I think they're going to be average offensively. I, they're going to be way better next year. They're almost going to win double the games that they won last year. It's not hard when you win 16 games. I have this team going 28-54. and 54. I think they're going to be towards the bottom of the Eastern Conference, but they're definitely going to be a lot better with a full year of Cade Cunningham. I just want to give you props for busting out some crazy nicknames today. George Niang, the minivan, Isaiah Stewart, Beef Stew. Real deep cuts there. And like you, I expect real improvement from Detroit, but this is coming from being the worst team in the league. So you got to temper expectations in terms of them making even a play-in push. I do think Cade is in for an awesome season, though. And I think up to this point, his inefficiency does not reflect the caliber of an offensive player and all-around player that he is because he was so impressive defensively in the 12 games that we saw him last year. I think he has awesome, awesome tools there. Really good point of attack, guys. Some secondary rim protection as a bigger guard with solid athleticism. And I think his pull-up shooting is much better than the numbers say. I think he's a really dynamic playmaker. I just think he's going to be awesome. I think he's going to be an all-NBA guy in this league. But it's like you said, the pieces around him, there is a lot to figure out. I think that Jaden Ivey is a real swing factor here. And he was asked to play a big offensive role last year. Rookie guards historically are inefficient. They are turnover prone. And he certainly was. I thought that he struggled finishing against NBA length a bit, wasn't super efficient around the rim, and I thought his shot making was inconsistent, which wasn't really surprising given his time at Purdue. He wasn't a super proven elite perimeter shooter. He had his moments there, and I felt that that was the case again last year, and same goes for his playmaking. I thought that overall his vision, his willingness to try things as a playmaker was probably a plus last year, but he did make mistakes. He's not the best technical passer. So it's a mixed bag. I want to see how he fits off ball because I do think that he is alongside Cade more naturally a two. I think he's a guy who can blend some of the off ball and on ball skill sets. I think he's going to be better, but again, he's coming from a talented but inefficient place, like really epitomizing that his rookie season. And I like Asar Thompson a lot, but there is going to be growing pains. Man, he may be the better shooter of the two brothers. He's still certainly not a good one. I also think him being a tertiary ball handler here is going to be a challenge because maybe he isn't equipped to run offenses quite like a man is. But I do still think a dynamic athlete who's a really good playmaker, he's very good with the ball in his hands. And yeah, he's an explosive cutter off ball, but I don't know that teams are going to respect that shot a ton. So I don't know that you're maximizing his value there. I think off rip, he'll be very good in transition because of his athletic tools. I think he'll be a good rookie defender. And that's really where he hangs his hat. He's so, so athletic, uh, such a big time defensive playmaker, can guard multiple positions at his size. But, I mean, if he had a true shooting percentage of 49 this year, like, I wouldn't be that surprised. He's just raw. He's He's got to grow into his game. And I'm not sure it's an ideal role for him here. So, I like the wing shooting with Bojan and Harris, but those guys are big defensive liabilities. And overall, this was a bad spot-up shooting team last year. I still think when you're looking at lineups with Ivy, with Asar, with Duran out there, that's a real question mark. 
So I just think this team is still ultimately going to be bad on both sides of the ball. I don't think that they have the sort of winning impact ready to contribute in that way, guys, that some of the other young teams do. Indiana has more of those veteran guys. They have more depth. And even their young players, I feel like, are more grown into their games. They have higher floors right now. I see defensive potential here with Cade and Asar on the perimeter and Duran is a good young rim protector. But generally when defenses are this young, when they still do have a couple of pretty big holes there, I wouldn't expect them to be even average defensively. So the talent is there. The refinement is not. And if anybody's buying Bagley or Wiseman stock because they put up decent numbers down the home stretch of last season, I beg you not to. They are the definition of empty numbers, guys. Like, yeah, Bagley can finish plays. He can score out of the post. Wiseman can finish easy plays. He's big. He's athletic. But they are such massive defensive liabilities. Both of them, their awareness is so poor. They just don't bring all-around value. Wiseman's teams in his career are 14 points per 100 possessions worse when he is on the floor, man. You can't find a number worse than that. And guess what? It feels right when you watch him. The IQ is not there. He makes a ton of mistakes positionally. His instincts are just off. He's a very, very frustrating watch. So... Duran is good. Duran is the big to be excited about here. It's not any of the other very high draft picks who put up decent numbers down the stretch. I think Detroit's going to struggle to win games. I have them at 26. And most of that, I mean, them getting to that number is because I do think that Cade is that man. And I think that Cade is, is going to be really, really good this year. There is one more young guy I want to give a big shout out to, and that's Marcus Sasser, uh, also out of Houston. Uh, I, we watched him at summer league. I think he's got a lot of potential, man. Uh, I think he had a 40-piece in Summer League, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's a really good floor spacer shooter, can shoot from range. Um, and I think maybe not this season. Again, uh, it's weird, man. We don't see a younger guys who are drafted that late or acquired that late don't normally get a ton of burn their rookie season, but I think he's a guy who could actually crack this rotation and give this oh, team sure. meaningful minutes, especially because, I mean, Killian Hayes stinks. Like, I, he just should not be in the rotation this year. I think... With Sasser's floor spacing and creation out of the pick and roll, he he's just better. I mean, I think just think he's better now. So I think there's a lot of young talent to be intrigued by in Detroit, but for sure, I think they're probably two to three years away before I really think they're ready for high-level playoff contention. And again, that's by crushing another couple of free agencies and drafts and a lot of development from these young guys. Yeah, they're a long ways away from being in any sort of contending conversation. And I'm fine with Sasser. I thought that he was a reach, but he's relatively pro-ready. He's going to bring the shooting and the defensive value. I don't know that that's what Detroit should really be targeting, given where they're at as a franchise. But I think he's solid and... Killian Hayes blows. If anybody is <laughs> buying any Killian Hayes stock as well, because he also put up decent raw numbers down the home stretch of last season, he is legitimately one of the worst scores of the basketball I have ever seen entrusted with ball handling duties in my life. Limited athlete, horrendous shooting touch. I mean, we haven't seen more efficient scores, more inefficient scores than Killian Hayes in decades, man. He's truly one of a kind. Nobody else puts together a 38% from the field, 27% from three masterclass game in, game out like Killian Hayes, KOC's number one prospect in the 2020 draft. So it's all about moving forward for Detroit. It's all about taking a step in the right direction. And I do think that they will do that a bit this year, but there are some other young cores that I think are more ready to legitimately get into some of those play in playoff conversations. So there you have it, folks, our thoughts on the central division. If you enjoyed this, the good news is there is plenty more nerd sesh content. You can subscribe to the volume YouTube page to get all of our shows with video. You can also listen to the episodes across all audio platforms. You can follow us across social media, TikTok and Instagram at nerd sesh, Twitter at nerd underscore sesh. Logan already did the plug in the first 30 seconds of the show, but you can find our trivia content there. You can find clips from the show. You can also join our Discord. That is at the link tree across our social media bios. If you want to talk NBA, NFL, be part of our community. And you can check out our merch. Logan's wearing the hat, the Nerd Sesh hat. We've got flags. We've got hoodies. We've got shirts. You can check all of that out at thevolume.com. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. 
and this was Nerd Sesh. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel... It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.